0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: Stocks are riding high on tax reform optimism. That's the story of the day. It's also been a story of the year. Where do we go from here this year? Where do we go next year? I know that's a question a lot of you have. I think we go higher right now. That's what the market's doing, and I don't think I look like a genius for saying it out loud. I think I'm saying the almost the obvious. So where do we go now? Talking stock, talking investing, talking retirement. Um, it's interesting to the Dow's rapidly approaching 25,000. That's a big round number, but every 1,000 from here on in is actually a smaller jump. You going from ten to 12, 20 percent move, right? But when you go from twenty-three to twenty-five, it's six, ish. Forgive the math on the fly. Um, Peggy Sue got married. Why do I even need math? I'll tell you in the future. I don't. Uh, that's a weird pull by me. Um, so we got a, we got a market that's looking like whoa, tax form optimism now. That could start to lead to, where do we go next? Because this year, 2017, we're like, are we going to get tax reform? Are we going to get health care reform? What's it going to look like? Um, Now that we know what it's going to look like, we may say, okay, what does next year's elections look like? Trump tweeted out support for um, the sheriff from Alabama. What if he doesn't get elected? What if the Democrat gets that seat? That's when we, that's where we're going to start thinking at this point in time. And that's where we should be thinking because the Dow is a discounting mechanism. And six months from now, we're going to be what June ish may. And we're going to be, they are going to be competing with each other. The Republicans, and Democrats, they're going to be like saying, look what the Republicans did. Look what the Democrats did. So next year we're going to have some uncertainty and wall street doesn't like uncertainty. We're up 20% this year. Uh, Take the money to the bank, go on and take the money and run. I think that's my assumption. But then again, we also have low unemployment, low inflation. We've got pretty much so an accommodative Federal Reserve. Um, But my fingers, I don't have an itchy finger, but it's on the trigger on selling some profits or rebalancing. We're moving up to full valuation. Full valuation maybe higher interest rates or slower interest rate or uh, maybe higher interest rates. So full valuation, maybe higher interest rates and political uncertainty are the things that have me going, Hmm. Hmm. Then there's the (laughs) little dictator. I'm channeling Donald Trump right now that will we, or won't we strike first? Or do we wait for him to strike or does everyone calm down? Those are the issues that I'm thinking about for 2018. It's not a bold prediction. I think those are all pretty obvious. But the Senate passed the Republican tax bill, the Tax Cuts and the Job Acts, early Saturday morning. And they're all getting together saying, like, how do we reconcile this? Um, And as it gets reconciled, we'll have a clearer picture. Like, for instance, the corporate tax rate going down to 20%, set in stone. But the individual tax rates, not so much. Those can be phased out all individual tax cuts for the Senate bill expire at the end of 2025. But, and you're like, oh. And the tech giants, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, well, not so much Facebook, but, yeah, Facebook. Uh, companies that have big cash earnings sitting overseas. They could repatriate at a lower rate going forward. And screw the corporate rate of 20%. They could be at 10% repatriation. Hmm. Right? A lot of ifs and buts and candy nuts. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. I think one of the bigger stories out there today, CVS has provided the ballast out there uh, to offer to acquire health insurance company Aetna. Aetna, I wish I would have met you. Or Aetna, I'm glad I met you. From one of their old commercial campaigns from 20 years ago. $69 billion deal. This one's a big one. And it's a big story because of what they're trying to pull off. When I go into CVS, some people see dead people. I see dead people in CVS. Some people see Elvis Presley, right? I go into CVS, I'm like, oh, something's itching on me. I need to go pick up my my medication. It's itchy. Um, Because Amazon won't deliver it to me yet. So CVS is saying, we need to figure out what we can do before Amazon gets into this business. Amazon.com. And buying an Aetna, $69 billion. It's been kind of a long expected deal that reflects the rapidly shifting world of healthcare and landscape, uh, healthcare landscape. A couple of years ago, Walmart and Target said, you know what? We'll give you your Medicare prescriptions for $4 a month, but you got to come get them. Because we know that while you're here, old person, that there's a good chance that you'll pick up some, uh, I don't know, a cane. Maybe television. I don't know. So if CVS Aetna has approved, the union could ignite deny, deny other mergers and acquisitions. A key component of the CVS business is its CVS Caremark Pharmacy benefit. The deal could help CVS encourage Aetna's healthcare plan participants to use their prescription system and shop at the pharmacy retail stores with them. So I see what they're trying to do. It's like right now retail is so afraid of Amazon. Let's say apparel. They need to have loud hip-hop music if they're trying to sell it to 21-year-old people. And right now, they're playing elevator music. So they need to do whatever they can to get people to come to their store. Otherwise, people are going to go to Amazon. I don't know why I'm talking like this. But you get the idea. CVS and Aetna also insist that post-merger, that they're going to be in a better position to combat chronic disease. For example, they say 30 million Americans suffering from diabetes uh, that the companies say the costs, the healthcare system, some $245 billion. So if Aetna, who provides you know healthcare plans, if CVS can supply the drugs, they'll be able to receive care in between doctor visits through face-to-face counseling at store-based kind of a health hub. Now, health hubs have worked pretty well in the past in some situations. Um, I've seen like dentists on wheels. That's kind of a mobile health hub, Right. Where a dentist will come to a college or a company and say, "Hey, we'll do free teeth cleanings," because we don't want you to use the coverage of cavities that cost us more to cover. And it's like, okay, I get it, kind of thing. Edna and Humana earlier this year scrapped a potential merger after a federal judge ruled it would lessen competition. So the question is, will this get through? Because the Justice Department recently sued AT and T to block its acquisition of Time Warner. And earlier this year, Aetna and Rival Humana, like I said, scrapped their deal. So right now, we don't exactly have a regulatory environment of mergers and acquisitions. Go, 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 go. We've actually seen some try to be shot down. We don't know if they will or won't. But right now, we've got rising health care costs. We have partisan divisions over the Affordable Care Act. We've got a potential influx of tech companies getting into that business model. Apple's running a study right now on heart disease based on your heartbeat, based on the watch that's on your hand. So, time to make a deal now before something else changes and your business uh, shrinks. So, will it reduce costs? Now that all of the children have grown up. I can't step on that. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I feel like I'm on point today. Um, We'll see. (laughs) We'll see if I can keep that up, right? You look like a succulent baby lamb. I feel like a succulent baby lamb with a nice brine of salt and lemon, just so you know. The markets are moving higher, um, sort of. Wall Street is rallying after the Senate approves their tax bill. Now it gets reconciled. What will it look like? Facebook is starting an app that targets 6 to 12-year-old kids, and I just go, Jesus, do we gotta have that? Take it away from us! Can't we just be kids for a little while before Facebook and everyone wants us? (sighs) I remember riding a bike out in the woods. I remember building little rafts that floated down rivers. But if your kids are going to message friends and family, wouldn't you rather have them do it safely and securely? They started about third grade now, having kids starting to use computers and uh, sending emails to friends and such in school. And that's the thinking behind Messenger Kids for, for from Facebook. Now, again, keep in mind, Google and their Chromebooks are kind of like owning the school situation right now. Because they make such cheap computers that Apple can't really compete with. For years, Apple gave massive discounts if your school would raise like, money. Because um, get the kids using the Apple products and they'll stay using the Apple products. That's what I'm trying to say here. It's a loser to me because let kids be kids. and But you got to put technology in their hands so they could start learning it. But ads-free messaging is what Facebook promises. Aimed at kids 6 to 12. Hmm. When, do you give a, when do you give a kid an Xbox? When do you give a kid a cell phone? It's available for iOS devices this week. With Android and Kindle versions coming in a few months. Messenger Kids users can do many of the same things that regular Messenger apps can do. Send text-based messages, video chat, tack on virtual stickers and face masks, but with stricter rules and parental controls in place. Um, I don't think the goal is all too altruistic, even if messenger kids is free to download and use it's getting give the kids candy. If you're a dentist, they'll come see you soon. Facebook remains the largest social network and their future is to try to steer their, their, their investor future hopefully steers people away, kids away from generation Y generation Z, um, pull them away. Millennials. From new apps that might compete with them in the future, get them used to the environment, and then introduce them to the, the adult version, so I don't think it's altruistic, so Facebook remains the largest social network. Messenger has grown into one of the most popular messaging platforms in the world. Signing up new users now presents a new challenge, given how mature and how wide reaching their RDA are. I quit Facebook Messenger, and I was speaking to my brother David this weekend. And he he quit Facebook altogether. He's like, I can't take it. He lives in Washington DC. He says, I can't take it. Every post is about Trump. It's stressing me out. And I'm like, I don't know his political affiliation. I think I do. But he's like, everything is stressing me out. He lives like five miles from the White House. I live thirty five hundred miles from the White House. And, like, I'm like, if you're stressed about Trump, move to California because everyone doesn't like him here. Like, it's tough. To, you could find a couple in San Diego and some of the farming communities. But the big cities, they're going to be on your side. And they're, your friends from those big cities are going to be on your side, per se, if that's what's stressing you out. Um, so Facebook's large. You know, when they bought Instagram, everyone's like, why? You spent too much money. When they bought what's uh, Snap, uh, Snap, Snapchat. That's not what, no, no, no. WhatsApp. They wanted to buy Snapchat because those were younger users in the future. Uh, WhatsApp is international, uh, users that, you know, don't really communicate with cell phones. They, they use broadband, uh, to make phone calls. Pretty smart, uh, what they've been doing. So offering messenger kids is another way to give parents more control over what their children read and see and hear on smartphones and tablets. So, one side of it is you don't want your kids running into a pedophile in social media and Facebook's trying to help. 93% of 6 to 12 year old children in the US have access to smartphones and tablets with about 80% of the children in that same age group getting the first taste of social media. I've got a friend who's got I guess like a 13 year old daughter. I try not to look too closely cuz uh I don't want to be accused of like looking too closely. So I think she's thirteen. She might be fourteen-ish. I don't know. I don't. I can guess weights better than I can guess ages. But he limits his kids on how much data their phone can process. I've got another friend, Chad Burton, CFP, New Focus Financial. Um, not yeah, he's CFP. Um, I was thinking CFO, but he's a CEO, CFP, um, Certified Financial Planner, copyright. Um, He limited his kids when they were younger to one-hour screen time, TV or tablets kind of thing, or computers. So it's extraordinary what parents have to go through right now. And, you know, trying to keep your kids away from strangers online, uh, not stranger things, but strangers online, it's probably an enormous and difficult task. Messenger Kids is the product over the next 12 months of development by the Messenger team that they say they spoke to hundreds of parents, primarily in the U.S., U.K., and Australia. And the consulted a youth advisory committee with experts specializing in child development and online safety. God, don't, isn't that crazy that we live in a world of online safety? Um, but in the early years of Sesame Street, the long-running iconic show that now airs on HBO and re-airs on PBS, the goal with Sesame Street from its first episode in 1969 was to educate children by taking advantage of their infatuation with television. So you go back to New York, you're like, oh, Sesame Street was so innocent. But it did get kids hooked on television even a little bit more. So this is the message that you have to. Did you know they have an autistic kid on Sesame Street now? And what up with Oscar the Grouch living in a garbage can? Was he a homeless person? Was that the message there? I wish the kids on Sesame Street would have said, or Ernie and Bert would have said, "Hey, Oscar, come live with us." I never ever got it. Mr. Snuffleupagus was he a, uh, was he addicted to something like he something with his nose? Are you with me? Are you against me? Um, uh, Mr. Snuffle Ernie and Bert, two guys living together. There was a lot of messages that Sesame Street was, was throwing out. You know, my favorite was the count. One, two, three. And he eventually leads One, to Edward Cullen four, from Twilight, right? Three, four, um, But five. Cookie Monster, <laughs> teaching kids to love cookies. Think about some of the messages they were sending. Were they as great as you think? So Facebook opening up their doors, per se, to a children's app. What do you think? I don't know. Big Bird. I have nothing bad to say about Big Bird, but he wasn't my favorite. Elmo. Tickle me, Elmo. I guess some people like to be tickled. (laughs) We all have our fetishes, right? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing and more. If you invested $1,000 in Apple 10 years ago, how much money would you have today? do, 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 do. Um, $6,228, enough to buy the phone six times over. <laughs> so you could have got one phone 10 years ago, one $1,000 phone. Now you can get 6.2. And that makes you go like, I get why you invest. Instead of spending your $1 today, you can spend $6.2 in 10 years. Um, that's according to, you know, there's also some dividends in there and some other ways of looking at it. Um... Now, Apple has fallen well short of Netflix and Amazon. So $1,000 10 years ago in GE got you $490 this year, 10 years later. That's not so good. $1,000 10 years ago, if you didn't invest it, has lost purchasing power. So it too would be lower. $1,000 invested 10 years in FedEx got you $2,100. So it doubled in 10 years. That's not bad. If you invested McDonald's, da 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 bop bop I'm loving it. Thousand dollars ten years ago. Gosh, aren't their fries like addictive? Do you think companies make do you think McDonald's makes some of their food addictive? Like, or is it just the salt and buttery nature of food that is addictive? And restaurants tend to overdo it. So a thousand dollars invested in McDonald's ten years ago, twenty seven hundred and ninety three dollars today. Thousand dollars invested in Starbucks, forty six hundred and eighty seven dollars today. $1,000 invested in Amazon 10 years ago. Today, 12398 Woo, that's a winner. Woo-hoo! Now, the big winner, the big winner, $1,000 invested in Netflix, 51966 bucks. A lot of the big brand names there, right? So there's something to be said for that. Why are you going out and investing in Palo Alto Networks? Well, cybersecurity, and people are getting hacked, and, you know, security is the number one thing for being online. Absolutely. 10 years from now, we'll say, I should have done that one. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really have all the answers. Or maybe, you know, someone will come along with a better way of stopping cyber hackers from cyber hackering. So keep in mind that stocks like Netflix, Apple, and Amazon did well, very, very well. Um, And some stocks can underperform and some stocks can outperform. Yahoo at one point in time, I remember when it went from 12 bucks to 250 bucks. Um, and where are they today? Right, experienced investors like Warren Buffett um, suggest you start by not picking individual stocks and instead going with index funds. I mostly agree with that. Index funds hold every stock possible, so you get the facts of life. You take the good, you take the bad, and there you have. Um, I was a Blair person. Were you a Joe or Blair? I wanted the rich, the rich girl. God, admit. God admit, I don't want the girl from the streets. Hmm. I know you're saying, Rob, I don't understand that reference. I'm 30 years <laughs> old. That's a reference from my childhood, not necessarily yours. Here we go. Rock your head back and forth. Pull out your lighters. Back in the day where TV shows had theme songs, It's an awful song, right? It's awful. I can lose weight to this song. Like, it makes me not want to eat. Anyway, how do you want to invest? Do you want to go for the individual stocks, home runs, or do you want to go for a portfolio that gives you the good and the bad? And basically, instead of buying the individual company, you're buying capitalism. Like, the stock markets right now, the S P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Dow have all risen because of capitalism and the idea of lower taxes for all these companies, the good and the bad ones. Therefore, they should rise faster in the future if they're paying less taxes. Can't totally say that's true. Can't, like, there's a lot of truisms that aren't true, right? I don't know if you're with me or against me on this one, but that's my thought at least. Anyhow, what else do I have for you today? Let's take a look. Let's think about this. We got the $1,000 story pretty much so nailed down. Bitcoin is on fire. Wall Street is really hyper loving Bitcoin because they can say let's hire people for this. They can say "Um, let's introduce some new products. Let's figure out a way to get Mike to invest because Rob's a stock guy. Mike likes alternative currencies because Mike believes that you know uh, the world's going to heck in a handbasket. Yes. Oh yes. car that I would love to own but I I won't because I'm not a car guy. It stinks, because I know people are like, you see that Lamborghini there? I'm like, no, which one is it? (laughs) I can't recognize it. But Lamborghini is introducing a super sports utility vehicle. It looks like a Hummer, but it's a Lamborghini. So supercar makers have long known that parked next to the snarling Lamborghinis, racing red Ferraris, or the stately Bentleys. um, That they're not the most practical. You know? Lamborghini is saying, hey, we can make a super fast, super beautiful, practical vehicle. Um, a lot of car makers are saying, like, we need to do that. So what I'm trying to bring up here is when you've been parking next to a Lamborghini in the past, you're like, whoa, look at that. I saw a stick shift Lamborghini. And I'm like, no, not a stick shift, an automatic. And I'm like, what's the point of that? Like, isn't it all about the stick shift? Isn't it? Um, so I actually saw a super expensive car and I actually laughed at it. Um where do I go with from here? Um I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it, oh it's all about about products. So like when you see Elon Musk come out with a, a sedan. Um okay, electric power, got it. Pretty good performance, but awesome styling. Then he comes out with more of an SUV, a, a mid-size or small-size SUV because it's not that practical to have a sedan if you've got a family. And then he's coming out with a budget sedan because some people don't have $60,000, $70,000 to spend on their luxury vehicle. It's just a luxury. Uh, it's just a sedan. Then he says, I'm going to come out with an electric truck because some trucking companies, they can go automated and save on a very expensive part of their business model labor. In theory. Wow. Think about some of the trucking accidents that you've seen. The truck that plowed into Tracy Morgan. How many millions of dollars did that cost Walmart and their insurance companies? The truck that plowed into a toll booth this weekend in San Francisco and killed the person in the toll booth. Um, so, a, a truck that can fix itself while it's driving, I see the point. But it's all about product. So, when you see a story like Lamborghinis getting an SUV market, it's all about product. I don't, if you have kids, you don't want a race car. Or maybe you do, but you're, you're like, that's not practical. Or your spouse goes, that's not practical. So everything you look at, whether it be Intel or Apple or Facebook or Google, it's all about product. So like the speakers out there right now, when you take a look at the um, HomePod that Apple's working on, and it's going to be, um, it's not really about competing with Google, because Google's all about search. Google gives away a lot for nothing, but then they get you on the search and the the selling the ads through the search. Apple acquired Beats using its music streaming product to deliver Apple music while continuing to sell the youth-oriented brands' headphones and Bluetooth speakers. Beats delivered Apple, a complimentary subsidiary brand, very popular with its audience, one associated with professional musicians and sports figures. So Apple bought into the rock and roll um, uh, marketing. The rock and roll star is using their product, in my opinion. So Apple's going to introduce the, the HomePod, and it's going to be about using Siri, right? But Siri is all about using your phone, and your phone's all about services out there. Now, your phone now costs $1,000, so I think Apple has it right with the way they're thinking about it. Like, Alexa is really all about, Alexa's stupid. Alexa's like, hey, Alexa, let's play blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's play um, Jeopardy. And there's, there's, it's not fun. So Apple's HomePod will be a speaker that they start selling in 2018, and it will be about accessing your phone, because they want you to continue to access your phone, and it's going to sound awesome, because that's what Apple does. They make things right, and they charge you a lot of money for it, and then they make good fat margins on it. Google's Home is a straight knockoff of Echo designed to counter the threat of Amazon reaching audiences of online buyers before they ever think to search Google. Google used to. I used to go, I need a new TV. I need a 50-inch. So I'd go to Google and search it. Now I go to Amazon and search it, and I buy it from Amazon more often than not. So Google used to make money when you were searching for the television. There were ads there. So Apple's not trying to do that. Apple isn't a smart microphone seeking to force Siri to more places to intercept users' attention. It's product. There are a few million Alexa speakers out there right now, but a billion devices that run Siri. Apple's going to dominate this. In my opinion, for the record, I own shares of Apple. Um, Apple doesn't make any money off Siri. If voice services were truly a compelling feature in smartphone purchases, people would have bought Fire phones and Pixels. That didn't happen. Alexa, to me, is an empty voice platform. I get why people think about it like, ooh, it's cool. It's unique. Apple's about selling phones. We'll talk about this nonsense narrative in the future if you want to. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at KDOW.biz or on the KDOW radio app. So, kind of finishing up my conversation on the Apple AirPod, not AirPods, but HomePod. The AirPods are the things that go in your ear. Uh, the HomePod is going to be the speaker. Apple's kind of has this history of not tracking you, Keep in mind, your smartphone probably tracks everything you you do. Um, But Google has a business model of of making money off of it. Samsung has a business model of making money off of tracking and, you know, marketing to you at every turn of your device. So the entire point of an assistant in home is to gain more access to users' lives, information, collect more information on behaviors, and use this to market ads. And Americans don't like that pretty much so. Some people are like, I don't care. But Apple's trying to sell devices, not sell information. And Apple is overtly and honestly selling its products directly above the table, while Google is actually selling you know, attention, uh, your attention, to advertisers, while you know, covertly pretending to be an Apple alternative that's trying to save people money and promote freedom. So it's a nonsense narrative, and it's something I sit down and I try to figure out, and I try to say, why should you own Apple over Google? i like them both but for now apple's going to generate just outsized margins and performance of selling devices because apple's isn't trying to intercept buyers before they head to a retail store apple's happy with connecting users with either stores or online retailers apple pay works for both ios apps create a blurring line ultimately that serves either And Apple Siri doesn't attempt to keep people out of rivals' apps or stores. It seeks to help them launch apps to find whatever they need. Um, Apple Siri on your, you know, I saw Amazon Primes coming to Apple TV. They don't care as long as you're using it on Apple TV. Um, So Apple doesn't have a search engine that it desperately needs to stop anyone from leaving idle. So a lot of people panicked because Facebook, when they first started, they made their money off the desktop. And they're like, what do we do? Google went through a moment of reckoning when they they were a desktop company and they quickly became a mobile company. Apple would actually prefer that the users of Apple's products go directly to apps, whether Amazon, Google, or anyone else, rather than search the generic web with Google. Um, Apple isn't trying to kill Google. It's just signed a massive web search partnership with Google that drives billions of revenue to Apple every year by letting Google put their product on their phones as a primary search engine. So, I hope this isn't, like, boring you at this point in time, but try to understand a company's intent. You know, I started this conversation by saying Sesame Street really drove a lot of kids to watching TV and getting hooked to it. And we look at it, you know, naively as innocent, and we look at Google phones as well, they're, they're nice, or Samsung phones as they're nice compared to Apple. And Samsung will cleverly market, like, look what we've done. We've had Face ID for three years, and Apple's just starting to do it. Um... It's interesting. So I'm going to tell you, it's interesting when you start figuring out why companies do things, what the intent is. Um, HomePod responds to Siri commands and passes them to your iPhone for launching apps or presenting a visual answer. And HomePod won't be just a smart mic like Echo and Home. It's an intelligent speaker system designed to give you exceptional home audio. The Amazon Echo products suck. Uh, Google said Google went high with their with their device, um, but some people like high-end performances, like Lamborghinis. I'm like I'm okay with a I'm okay with my my truck. Um, HomePod will use a four-inch driver with an incredible twenty millimeter excursion, possibly because of dynamic modeling. Supposedly, and we don't have it yet, um, but. The HomePod will be able to... It sounds like a live concert when you're listening to it, because it's figuring out the size of your room, how immersive it is, how rich it is, and um, it's delivering a, a sound for that size. You might remember way back when uh, Xerox, um, they had workstation terminals that would cost $40,000 to buy. Xerox invested in Apple to adapt its expensive technology for the mass market on its you know, for workstations, and that came out with the $2,400 Macintosh in 1984. Getting to mass markets is a tough thing to do, and Apple's figured out a way, let's keep going high-end. People like the emotional experience, and I don't know, the Apple Watch, the first iteration, people didn't get, but by the third iteration, people are pretty hooked to it. It's the number one selling smartwatch by far. Companies like Sonos lack the resources to bring very expensive new active speaker technology down to a mainstream price. Um, Because of Sonos, I have them. I have them built in. They're awesome. But they're expensive as heck. And if Apple can do a similar sound as a standalone speaker, I'm in. So look at the product that they do and, and look at how well they do it. The AirPods are the number one, not the number one, but they're a top five gift this year, the things that plug into your ears. And when they first launched, people were like, they're expensive at $150. There's a lot of Bluetooth. I'm like, wires, wires. I don't like wires. And AirPods have rapidly dominated the market for wearable audio, and they also tie into your phone. Some YouTuber figured out how to take them apart and put them back together, and they sound even bassier. Um... So when AirPods first came out oh, a little over a year ago, people were like, You got weird things hanging out your ear. Look at how many people now have weird things hanging out their ear for wear, wearable audio. And you could be you could tap your left one, you can program your left one say so when you tap it, you can do a search. On your right one, you could do navigation. Um, it's an immersive experience. And it's a wearable technology. It's not like the Google glasses that just stunk. Anyway, I hope you get what I tried to do for you. I try to give you some perspective. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I've got an event coming up, whether it be a webinar or a seminar, you can sign up at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. You'll get tons of information. And from that information, you'll get tons of investment insights. You can use the code RADIO25 to get into any event for free because you're a radio listener. It's radio25 at robblackshow.com. Look for upcoming events and seminars